You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. At the beginning of, of, our, of our relationship, I, I wish it was like love at first sight, music starts playing, she sees me, I see her, there's sparks, there's magic. But it, that was mainly more of a one-sided scenario from me to her. You know what I'm saying? So when I met her, when I started hanging around her, we're both like youth leaders in church back in the day in Minnesota and uh, Yashir and uh, those Midwest days. And, um, and so I was interested in her, not so much reciprocated. When you see this photo, you might see why. And uh, so... What happened, though, is she wasn't dating anybody, but she had junior prom coming up, and so she had one of the other kind of youth leaders uh, at the time was going to take her. It was just a friend. He could dance well, and so, like, hey, let's, let's go to prom together, and it was just kind of this friend scenario. And at the end of the day, he ends up having to back out. He's also now a male stripper, so I think I'm glad she went with me. You know what I'm saying? And uh, that's a true story. That's real. That is real. That's what he is. He danced really well, obviously. So well, he gets paid for it. And uh, that's different. I'm, I don't do that as much, that kind of, I mean, I'm into multiple streams of income, but I, I don't recommend, I don't, re- I don't recommend that. Zach, you need to. Cancel that. Stop it, okay? I know. You're like, babe, I'm saving up for your Valentine's gift. No, don't do that. Yeah, that's, that's not how you raise money for that gift, okay? So stay away from that. So we decided, um, uh, so he comes to me, and he asks the last minute, he has to bail on taking her, literally like week up. So he comes to me, hey, would you mind taking Katie to prom? And I was like, I liked her. She didn't really like me or know that I liked her at the time. I was thinking, okay, I'm liking the possibilities of what's about to happen right now, right? Uh, but she was not in on this conversation yet because he was, he's trying to find a replacement for himself before he breaks the bad news to Katie that he can't take her, right? So he comes to me, and I'm thinking, okay, I like this, but I'm in a little bit more of a conservative Christian home where I can't just be, like, dating girls whenever I want. We didn't even use the word dating. We used the word courting, right? So I wasn't really allowed to do that, so I'm like, I need to call mom, okay? So i got to call mom and dad, so I get on the phone. Mom and dad, it's like some youth night, and we're trying to, you know, like, and I get on the phone, like, hey, Mom, dad, like, hey, you know Katie, you know Katie, right? Awesome girl. And uh, she, last minute, they canceled for uh, prom. They asked if I could take her. And, you know, I was just thinking, like, can I help a sister out? And, uh, and they're like, you don't, you don't like, like her, right? I mean, this is just like you helping out. Oh, yeah, no, no. Big lie, big lie. Uh, and I'm, no, no, just, just trying to help out, and uh, they're like, all right, you can do it, so then, uh, then breaks the news to Katie, oh, I can't go, but hey, Samuel's going to step in and take you, and I don't think she was as pumped as I would have <laughs> liked her to have been, you know what I mean, but she was in a bind, she couldn't say no, you know, <laughs> so the Lord worked, the Lord had his way. And, uh, you know, sometimes God's got to, you know, just, you know, move mountains, you know, uh, to, create, to create the way. 
And uh, so anyways, we, uh, okay, so we're going to go, it's, it's prom night, but I'm homeschooled. I've never been to public school ever, and I've never been to a dance before, right? So I'm about to, you know, get a full uh, baptism into uh, public high school. And uh, so we're going, and first of all, I borrow like this sick Beamer, but it's a stick shift. So like I'd never... I, don't, I didn't drive there a lot, so I'm, like, grinding gears. I'm trying to be impressive, but there was also, like, a horn, like, weirdly placed on the steering wheel. So I kept honking the horn and, like, <laughs> grinding the gears. I mean, I was just like, wow, I am just winning right now. You know what I mean? Uh, but I did open doors, closed doors, right? You're right. I, got, I got all the chivalry stuff going on. And uh, we dance a couple of times. We get on the dance floor, and it's like, all right, this is good. And then all of a sudden, one of those, like, you know, real bump and grind songs come on. We're like, you want a you juice? Let's go, right? Like, you know, I'm going to avoid that. Uh, I def- we're not even dating. I mean, I wish we were, but we're not dating at the time. And, uh, and so I'm just like a friend scenario here. And uh, so, but then, you know, prom, you got to have the photos, right? This prom pic. So mom has ordered the picture package. And so, but here's the deal. We're not together. And I've never, uh, I've never dated before. And I'm about the, the dude, like, posing the photos. Everyone's like, okay, put your hands on her waist. And I said, whoa, Jesus, I've never touched a girl's waist before, right? So, like, so I'm like, you know, hands on the waist. And I was like, this is the best day of my life. You know what I mean? And those hips don't lie, you know what I mean? And it just was like, and so we're taking this photo, but this is the photo I'm about to show you, right? So, because, you know, it's like classic prom photos, you know, like the side pose, hands on the hips thing. And, uh, and when I, around this time, we're about 16 and a half. When I was 16, on my 16-year-old driver's license, my height, Right now, I'm about 5'11-ish, right? Everybody wants to be six foot. I'm 5'11-ish, somewhere in that zone. When I got my driver's license, I was five foot three. So I'm a very shorter version of myself at junior prom time when I take this beautiful woman uh, to prom. And so we're pretty much the same height during this photo. So it kind of takes, it looks a little bit like she took her younger brother to prom, Okay. And so, ladies and gentlemen, for the second time in kind of national history, I'd like to display our junior prom photo, if you guys could go ahead and put that up. Look at that slick back hair. I mean, how much gel did I put in that? You know what I mean? Just looking fresh, looking good. That left hand's a little low, I'm going to be honest. You get that hand up, Samuel. You watch yourself. Dang. But here's the deal. When Katie, a couple weeks after the prom, we had a fun time, and then a couple weeks later she called and said, hey, the photos are in. But uh, mom ordered the wrong size photos. Because, you know, you, you do like a photo like that, it's like wallet, photo, pic, or something like that. That's why this is so big. Because she accidentally ordered photos this big. So I have like a real life-size photo of Katie and I. I would literally say take it down and just pass it around. Just enjoy. Look at it. But I, this is, this is too beautiful. I can't wreck it. They can't. And uh, so, wow. It felt like a big milestone for us, babe, to like unveil this to our church family. This was, this was big. This was big. 
<laughs> I, I want to, in light of that, right, beautiful beginning, and uh, somebody saw the picture yesterday. If you see it closer, someone's response was, wow, Samuel, the years have been actually good to you. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. Katie basically still looks the same, gorgeous, young, fresh. Me, it's like, well, you became an adult, so that's positive. <laughs> Literally, someone was like, you looked 11. How many thought like I looked more like an 11-year-old, not an almost 17-year-old in that picture? Um, I would like, back in the day when you used to write checks, like at stores and stuff, like, I'd be 16, right, drive myself to Target, and I'm paying with a check, and the people are always like, can I see some ID with that check? And I'm like, I pull up my license, they're always like, oh my God, you're actually 16? And I'm like, yeah, stop being such a punk to me right now. And, uh, and I go, I know, I look more like, you know, 14, and this one lady was like, more like 11. I was like, you know what, I'm slashing your tires, you know what I mean? Yeah, I want to talk to a manager. Insult me like that. <laughs> I want to. I want to attempt to to preach in in the remaining time, since most of my time was in telling that amazing story. Um, about a message, a message that I, is a little bit of an intense like title, because I want to talk about how to build an unbreakable marriage, and and I think that I say it's intense because we know that statistically we hear this all the time about 40 to 50% of marriages end in divorce. So then to say, okay, I'm going to preach about how to have an unbreakable marriage. Can, does it, is that a little presumptuous? Is that a little bit aggressive on my part? You know, uh, should I not kind of go after it that specifically? But I do. I, I want to say that. And then a lot of times you read a stat like this, and then people may bring up the fact that, it, you know, oftentimes it's not much different when people even call themselves a Christian versus not a Christian, that the statistics are similar. But here's what I want to say about that. When that stat is brought up, that doesn't mean that Christianity has no effect on marriage. It means that many people who claim to be a Christian are not applying Christianity to their relationships, right? Because if you live a biblically-based marriage, if you live out your relationships applying the biblical principles that God has given us related to relationships, you can have a marriage that lasts. You can have a marriage that's healthy. You can have a marriage that's strong, that's passionate, that's full of love. And we'll go till death do you part. Now, I know in this room, right, there's some who, man, you're engaged to be married. Some of you are just newly married. Some of you have been divorced. Some of you guys are remarried. There's different scenarios in here. So no matter where you're at in it, I want to just encourage you. Don't, don't, let, let this in, encourage you. Let this inspire you to create a beautiful marriage, whether it's the first time or it's the second one. Because here, I want you to ignore the stats in the sense of allowing fear to get you thinking that you might just become another statistic out there. Because, you know, the stats don't go well even when it's a second or third marriage. But I'm telling you what, I don't care which marriage you find yourself on, whether it's the first or I was going to say the 15th, but that feels a little aggressive. Um, no, but no matter where it is, if you begin to apply the Bible to your relationships, I'm telling you what, 
you can see this one last. You can see this go the distance. And not just last as in, wow, we made it to death without getting divorced, but actually enjoying it, actually having life, actually having uh, a beautiful story that can be an example to those around you. Um, Part of what has to happen, though, is we have to take on a God pattern versus a world pattern. Now, we've heard Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I'm going to read the way we kind of typically hear it. This is out of the NIV. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Which is great, but I want to read that out of the Amplify because I think it gives us a little more context, especially into what we're about to lead into. Now, the Amplified is, anyone ever read the Amplified version before? A lot of times you don't buy that version of the Bible, but like on your phone, like the Bible app, different things, you can switch over and see what that says. And the reason why I love the Amplified, like I read the NIV as my main translation to read daily, but I love the Amplified as sort of like what I would say color commentary, additional input into my study because when the Bible, the Bible, in case you didn't know, wasn't written in English. And so when it was originally written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, then, of course, we translate it the best we possibly can into whatever language you're reading it in. But there are going to be some words that don't quite word-to-word translate, right? So you're trying to pick the best one to say what that original word said. But the Amplified then kind of adds several other, like, supporting like almost thoughts or adjectives that sort of add some bigger color or context to what maybe that word is saying. So set that all to say, let's read Romans 12, 2 in the Amplified. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually. By the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes, so that you may prove for yourself what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. How good is that? And and it just adds a little bit of strength to that. See, a lot of times, whether people call themselves a Christian or not, marriages are ending because we are living out marriages based on a, a worldly pattern and philosophies and ethics and value systems versus building our marriages on God's word, his ways, his pattern, his strategy. So I want to give you three things today that will help us build an unbreakable Marriage and uh, before the the first service, I said, "Babe, I'm preaching a message called the Unbreakable Marriage, so we cannot get divorced because that will just not look good, you know." And she said, "You know, honestly, I wouldn't want to. It's like so much work." I was like, "Well, yeah. I mean, that's one reason to stay with me. Like, I mean, I put 20 years in of hard labor getting Samuel to look like this instead of that photo." Like, having to restart? I mean, I understand. (laughs) But it's kind of true, actually, you know? Um, But let's talk about three things. One is commit. Someone say commit. Uh, A great marriage, a biblical marriage, an unbreakable marriage begins with commitment, right? And and I want to talk about this a little bit uh, from maybe a, a different angle. Matthew 
chapter 22, 36, uh, somebody's asking Jesus, they say, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus actually doesn't respond with the greatest. He responds with two things. He says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he continues kind of without skipping a beat in, in, in essence to kind of say these are linked, right? And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments, these two things. So I think a lot of times what can, what can get us off track in a marriage is that when I base kind of my commitment to my spouse purely more based on human level commitment alone, as in, are they doing what I want them to do, right? Are, are we holding up on the, the agreement or the, the covenant or the, the marriage vows that we set at the altar? But I, I like to remind us that one of the reasons or one of the, the primary things that actually governs our human commitment cannot just be found purely in our own humanity alone. It has to come from a higher source, my, my commitment to my wife is, is there, there's obviously a natural passion there, commitment, relationship, all of that that builds. But what happens when we're not operating in that commitment that we should have or that we could or that we said we were going to at the altar? Do we just abandon that? Or is there a higher authority that's actually governing my commitment? That's why Jesus says the greatest is your commitment to God first. Where's your relationship at with God? Have you, have you made your commitment to him, and are you submitted and surrendered to his will? Because if I am, then ultimately I don't just get to do whatever I want in my life or treat my wife however I want based on myself or her in that given day. I actually am obligated to treat my wife in a certain way based on what God has said and my commitment to God first. A lot of times we try to base our, we treat each other based on on how they treat us, but God actually calls us to treat others as God has treated us, right? So that changes the game. So now I, my love cannot just be like, I love you because you have loved me, but actually I love you when the days you love me and the days when I don't feel the love back, but I love you and I'm going to keep loving you because... God has loved me, and so I'm going to treat you the way God has treated me, and I'm going to stay committed. I'm going to stay in this thing, right? Um, a lot of times we just kind of, we, we, we dissolve things because we, we don't see things working the way we want, or we don't like how, you know, somebody has is, is, is treated us, and so then we end up um, just responding back to them as they've treated us. But with the Bible, the biblical model is that my commitment goes beyond the other person's act actions. My commitment cannot just be based on like, hey, we're married as long as you do these things, right? Because if, that, if that's what this is built on, if the vows are more like, hey, till death do us part unless you don't do what I expect you to do, right? Um, we, we've got to have a commitment that is before God first, right? That's why in a marriage ceremony, we're, we're declaring our vows, and usually as I'm you know, performing a wedding ceremony, it's sort of like you know, because you've expressed your vows and exchanged rings before God and these witnesses, right? So my marriage commitment is not just a human contract alone. I have made this before God. 
And so I'm, I'm more afraid of God than I am of Katie. Not much, but I am. I am. <laughs> a little healthy fear for your wife is good. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, but genuinely, my love for God is the primary determining factor of how I love other people, not how other people love me, right? God loves me. I love God. I'm in that committed relationship. So now I love that way. I respond that way. It's a little bit like in America right now. Um, when if you try to create a free nation, but you remove the God factor, it, it doesn't work, right? So the reason why America has had the freedom it's had is because of that statement, right? In God, we trust that's on our coin or we are one nation under God, right? Like, so the fact that we are under God's authority is actually what governs our ability to stay free. You remove God and we create chaos, because there has to be a governing body, if you will. There has to be an authority that is beyond our human selves, because I'm going to have limitations in my own thoughts, my heart, my attitude, my issues. I'm going to have good days. I'm going to have bad days, but I've got to have something that is bigger, higher, and more powerful than any human commitment. There has to be a God factor in our nation, but also in your marriage, right? In your relationship, you start by your commitment to God is the first thing, and when that that commitment is there, then you can begin to operate in a true uh, commitment to your spouse. Amen? All right, number two, uh, serve. Someone say serve. So we got to first, we got to commit if we're going to build a marriage that's unbreakable. But the second is we got to serve. Philippians 2, if you ever get entitled, if you ever feel like, oh, my God, my needs aren't being mad, I'm so mad, read this verse about a thousand times until you get it. Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Lord, this, is, this, is, this rages against modern mindsets around relationship. Above yourself. Okay, above yourself. Now, we got people going like, I, just breaking off everything because other people are not meeting my needs, not valuing me, not giving me what I want, and so I'm out here. But come on, what, whatever happened about just applying the Bible to our lives and our marriage and our relationship, it's got to be above myself. But my, my treatment of my spouse is, is about me going, okay, I'm going to honor them, serve them, treat them before I focus on my own self. So it says this, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others, right? In your relationships with one another, so this could be in any, whether it's friendships, dating, engaged, married, have the same mindset as Christ, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Jesus, uh, being God, decided 
I'm going to take on the role of a servant, even though I have the ability to take on a different role. I choose to serve, right? I'm going to lay my life down for people. Same thing when it comes to our relationships is that are we going to make a decision that we're going to focus on serving each other? Or is the whole focus going to be on whether or not your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your family, your friend is serving you? There has to be a decision that we're going to shift to making our attention on serving first, caring about the needs of our spouse before our own. Now, this is one of those things that's way easier to preach, way harder to live, right? We can all amen this, and then we all know we have to leave this place and actually have a conversation with our spouse and go, all right, are we actually doing this? Do you feel like, am I actually serving the interests of my spouse before my own? And, and this is, is one of those things where we have to con- constantly renew our effort to it, consistently be reminded. Because I've had these moments where it's like, oh, yeah, you know what? Even if my wife isn't doing what I would like her to do, it's all right, I'm just going to serve. But, like, in, in my own head, I have, like, an internal clock about that. Like, that means, like, as long as, like, within a week at most, if I don't start seeing what I want, then, I'm, then I'll get all fired up about my needs not being met. And I, it's like, well, that's not really, that's not really how a relationship can work. If you're truly going to serve, then you literally lay down your life without a demanded expectation. Right? So I have to serve my wife and serve the interests of her and what she needs and what God's put on her life and, and minister to her. And, and whether or not I'm seeing what I want back. But the key is to stay committed to that, right? And to truly selflessly play that role. And wives, back to the husbands, the same way. Because here's what, here's what happens all the time. This is like the iconic, right, uh, kind of crazy wheel of relational destruction, which is you're not meeting my needs, so I'm going to withhold from you what I know you need, and then because I'm withholding now, the other person's going to withhold even more, and it goes back and forth, back and forth until you don't even have a relationship anymore, and you forget like yourselves, and you forget the commitments, and you forget, and you're just so sort of out of love than you were before. The, the good news is, is that somebody can be the one who calls a timeout and stops the out-of-control merry-go-round of relational dysfunction and says, you know what, I, I'm hurt right now, I feel rejected maybe even, I feel lonely, I feel disconnected, I feel whatever, but I'm going to pause from my withholding, and I'm actually going to turn this thing and start to serve my spouse. And, I, and even though I feel empty, sort of speak, like, you know, like terminology, like your love tank or your, you know, like what's filling you. Maybe you feel empty, but you make that decision that man, I'm still going to, I'm going to give. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve my spouse. I know what they need. I'm going to bring that to the table even though I don't feel like it's coming my direction. And when you make a decision to do that, you will begin to see things shift. Now, now here's, here's the truth, and here's where you got to be patient. It usually will not be overnight, 
right? Usually, you know, you, you have 5, 10, 15, 20 years of marriage dysfunction. You hear one message. You go, you know what? I'm changing it all. Tomorrow, you wake your wife up, and she's got flowers, and you're kind, and you're nice, and, but then she's snarky back at you because she's been dealing with your punk self for 15 years, and you're shocked that why she's so harsh towards you. And then you go, well, I tried. Yeah, one time, one time, and it's been 15 years of dysfunction, right? Or vice versa, right? This happened on both sides of it. Um, but it, that's where when you know you've got to make a shift, you've got to commit, and this is where your commitment is to God, before it's even to your spouse, if you realize you have not been uh, treating and serving your wife or your husband correctly, then you reaffirm that commitment first to God. And yes, you commit to your spouse to that, but then you just begin to serve. And now go like, well, I'm gonna serve, but hey, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that to come back, right? Like, don't, don't play that game of like this contract of how you engage with your spouse. Just make a decision, I'm gonna serve. And, and there were times, especially in the beginning of Katie and I's marriage, where because of kind of past family dysfunctions or hurts or different things, there was just challenges. There was, there was stuff we had to gut out. There were issues in our communication. There was issues in our intimacy. There was issues in, in our conversations and how we built together. And there was times in that where we just had to make a decision where I'm just going to keep serving even when I'm not feeling a response back. And, and this, is, this is something that's so important. But as you do that, you will find that things begin to shift, right? Just stay with, keep serving, keep loving. And part of it too is Katie and I are just, we are so much better individuals and a couple because we've been married for 20 years, almost. Going, actually, 19. We've been together for 20 but we've, we're, we're better because she makes me better. And I think, you know, I try to make her better, right? Like we're, we're better together. We're sharper. We're, we're, we've grown. We've developed. We're better versions of what God wants us to be because we've hung in there, because we've been each other's advocates and cheerleaders, and we've fought through different things, right? We've stayed in it, and we keep serving each other, Right? But that, that struggle to, to, to withhold because you're not getting uh, served is so common and easy to fall into. And I'll say a little bit more on this. We talked a little bit last week about kind of like the love languages. And I love personality tests like that, especially help us learn how to serve better or understand ourselves or our spouse. But just be careful in relationships like that. You don't use profiles as a weapon. Right, where you go, well, I'm quality touch, and you're not doing what I want. So therefore, you don't love me, right, or whatever. Uh, did I change it? I, oh, quality touch. Well, yeah. Yeah. There's different kinds of touch, you know what I'm saying? But there happens to be a lot of young people in this service. So we're going <laughs> to... What'd you say? Physical time. Yeah, that's absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm writing a new book. There's only two love languages for men, and uh, those are them. But, you know, but what, what can happen for, I literally just feel like I'm barely learning what 
quality time means, like, because uh, that's my wife's number one love language. Actually, like Pastor Jurgen said last week, the best thing for every man to understand is your wife is all five, right? And, uh, but, but for my wife, quality time is, is the primary kind of vehicle that sort of like every other gift works through. And, um, and so I just, man, I, I was not good at that. I'm still not instinctively great at that. And I had to learn and, 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 you know, my dating of her even after marriage, you know, has not been uh, amazing because I've not prioritized oftentimes, you know, creating those moments and being together and creating that space to just connect and just hang out. And so we are constantly working on strengthening that. And I actually was coming to Awaken where I learned how to just like laugh, have fun, um, be include that more into the conversation where our goal is is not just, you know, just driving and focus and mission, especially even for me, like in, in like ministry, it was just like, come on, man, let's just go. It's cause, it's kingdom, it's sacrifice, it's serving. And it's like, well, what about just going to the river? You know what I'm saying? And just like having fun and celebrating life and enjoying the good things that God has for us. And so we've laughed more in these last, uh, coming on seven years of being down here, have more time together. And actually as, as this world has helped to reorientate kind of our heart right, our value system right, our priorities right, it's amazing. Our marriage is the best it's ever been. Because, uh, but I'm also doing a lot better at quality time. And I think, um, not amazing, I'm not giving myself five stars, okay? Because my wife is in person and, and, and you know, and, and can quality control this, uh, this, this self-assessment, right? I'm not telling you how many stars I'm giving myself. I'll let Katie uh, rate that on the Yelp app later, but... Um, but, you know, we're working on that. And, but it's amazing, as I have been more intentional with that, to create that space, how, how much easier it has been for that kind of reciprocated from her meeting the different areas of my life. But the, the truth is that we have to make a commitment to serve each other uh, without the strings attached of you better do this for me if I do that for you. Um, that just, it creates a, a lonely trap that goes nowhere and nobody's happy, right? Because now we're all, just, we're all just having exchange of duty versus a relationship where I just focus on serving uh, my spouse. And we're, we're, in a, we're in a process of that. But if you, if you learn that, it's one of those things that will help us stay unbreakable. Uh, number three, the last one here before we close is honor. Someone say honor. You know, honor uh, is, is often about like kind of that value we place on something. So when uh, the higher perceived value you have on something or someone tends to then dictate how you show honor. Now, as I was thinking about that thought, which I, I believe to be true, I also thought about the way that that could instantly make different individuals in here feel. Because if you're married or you're with, you know, uh, you're, in that process of marriage, you, and you sit here going, okay, wow, well, I'm not getting very appreciated, so maybe, or very honored, so maybe they, there's not a lot of value that person is placing in me. And before that horrible train of thought goes too far, because <laughs> I know how fast our mind can run with stuff, have to remember that I really believe that honor 
and value like that is something that is taught to people, right? I don't always feel like that's instinctively trained. And most people did not grow up in a home where mom and dad modeled that very well. Didn't grow up in a home where dad really loved and honored mom and treated her like the royalty that she was. So then if you're a little boy growing up in that home, you don't really know how to treat a princess. And so now somebody's got to teach you, right? And that's where this, this environment, right? Meds on Tuesdays, Emerge Conference. If you're a man in here, you're not going to Emerge. Not too late. Don't, do not pass this up. I'm telling you what, it'll change, change the game for you. Um, but we have to be taught that and vice versa, right? Like you want to bring the best out of your husband, right? Learn to love, learn to honor, learn to treat him. Uh, you know, find, find other women in, in your airspace that you're like, wow, I love the way she looks at him, she treats him, she talks to him, she values him, and ask somebody to help you, right? Both, on both sides of that, right? Because we, we just think like, God oh, should be instinctive. Well, guess what? It's not. <laughs> I wish, yeah, otherwise we'd all have perfect marriages and there'd be never any issues, right? But guess what? Building a great marriage is something that takes intention, it takes focus. It takes you working on it. And a lot of times we don't have the skill and the training all in of ourselves. So we got to get in the word and we got to get somebody else in our world that can say, hey, yeah, here's how you do that. Here's how you live differently. Here's how you treat her differently. Here's how you talk differently. Here's how you operate differently together as a couple. But that honor, and there's, there's some great verses that, that I kind of brought up. And a lot of times in this conversation of honor and how you treat kind of the husband-wife roles, some of those verses are attached to words that are not politically correct, like submission and all that. And so sometimes we can kind of stay away from them. But watch how beautiful this is and understanding for, for wives to, to, to husbands. In the Amplified Version, because I love how it adds a little bit for us here, Colossians 3.18, Wives, be subject to your husbands, and watch this, out of respect for their position as protector, and their accountability to God as is proper and fitting in the Lord. So sometimes we, we you know, we read those verses quick. <laughs> Actually, I just finished a, a kid's devotion called 52 Bible Verses to Teach Your Children. And uh, thanks for that one endorsement. <laughs> a lot of you guys have been tagging me and I love seeing that. And I love discipling our kids well. Someone was joking like, hey, could you do like 52 Bible verses on, you know, your wife submitting to the husband? And I was just like, I was like, honestly, there's not that many, you know. Uh, there's not enough. I mean, I could really manipulate a few and try. Yeah. Man, are you tired of only having one verse to get your wife to submit? You know. Here's 51 others I've manipulated. Uh <laughs> Um, but there's, there's a few of these verses that really speak to us and how wives treat husbands, husbands treat wives. But specifically in this, in this role, God has is, is called husband and wives to lead together, build together. Both of us are created in the image of God, right? There's, there's high value. The Bible puts high value on both men and women. A lot of times historically, culturally, uh, women have been massively devalued, but the Bible always brings value back to the role of femininity, back to the wife, back to the marriage relationship there. And, and, but the difference is many have kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to the understanding of uh, honoring, you know, a husband or su- 
submitting yourselves or all, all the verses, right, uh, that the Bible says. But it's, it's much, it's not about value. It's more about authority understanding, right? And so this verse, I think, does a great job of helping us understand that it, th- this should have some fear and trembling as men when you read this verse because it says, wives, be subject to your husband, right? Because he's a protector and he answers to God. <laughs> I answer to God for my family more than my wife does. There's going to be some things we get up to heaven and God be like, what in the world were you doing? I'll be hey, talk to my wife. He'll be like, I'm not talking to her right now. I'm talking to you. You eyes on me, Samuel. You know, like you're in trouble. Uh, you know what I mean, like right? Because I, I'm responsible, right? Kate and I are leading our home together. There's a unity. There's a strength there, right? There's kind of this co-equals role, but there's still an authority that God has has entrusted, right? Me with that I have to I have to own that responsibility. I have to own that role. And, and I think that's one of the things that we're really passionate about. That's why I love men's prayer on Tuesdays, right? Because a lot of times, again, just like honor and values and always modeled, strength of male leadership, strength of leading your home well, very rarely modeled. So we're going to learn that. Tuesday morning, 5.30, okay? Come on. Come on, learn to pray. Learn to walk in courage. Learn to walk in boldness. Learn to lead spiritually and then lead your home in a way that's different, right? That, that, and man, if the, the, the greater you learn that rhythm of leading your home well before God, right? In, in submission to God, you will find that your wife will respond so much differently, right? When there's a strength in, in, in the leadership role of the home and there's different personalities. That doesn't mean every dude has to be like alpha male, hardcore, intense, ah, like, like there's a thousand versions of the male like style, right? And you lead how you are with your personality, but you can still be strong. You can still lead with courage. You can still hold your family up. You can still be the protector that the Bible calls you to be and lead your family well, protecting from natural and supernatural issues. That's again why men's prayer is so important. A lot of our families are getting beat up because as men, we aren't taking the authority of our homes that we need to, but we can kick the devil out in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we got pregame snacks to eat, and we got a football game to watch, so let's, let's wrap this bad boy up. Paul, Paul's looking at me like, if you go one more minute, I am out of here, okay? I got food in the oven, right? I got the nacho cheese dip heating up right now. He actually has a remote for his cheese dip warmer. I saw him pull it out. He pressed warm already. He already pressed it. Can we all stand up? Katie, could you join me? I want to pray. (laughs) Um, Couples, married couples especially, be together, hold hands here. You want to get married? Come on, pray for your future spouse right now. Let's just pray for these kind of three things that we lean in today. And... And maybe this is the moment, maybe it's another day, right? Like, find some time. If you know some of these areas kind of pricked you and God's challenging you, highlighting some areas 
in your relationship. Um, it's okay, no condemnation. That, that's why we engage God's word because we all want to get better. We want to get healthier. And, and there's no marriage that's too gone. There's no marriage that's too dysfunctional or too cold or, or too lost or dry. None of that. Every marriage can be thriving and in, in love and building something amazing together. And that's what we want to see at Awaken. We're, we're, we're not going to be perfect, but let's keep building together, right? Let's keep fighting for healthy, strong marriages together. So let's, let's pray. Father, I love you. We thank you. Today, we come before you and we just reaffirm our commitment first to you, God. We surrender to you. We are followers of you. We submit our mind, our will, and emotions to your leadership. We will commit to follow your way no matter what happens around us, no matter what culture says, even no matter what our spouse does. We have decided to follow you and to live out your principles in our life. Father, God, we make a decision to serve. God, show us where we've been selfish. We know our our spouses probably have reminded us from time to time maybe where we've been that, but, but why don't we allow you, God, to highlight what are those areas where we've been just about ourselves, seeking our own interest, fighting for what's ours versus serving our, our spouse. So, Father, we thank you for that, our commitment to serve, and God, help us to honor. God, you have given us such a precious gift in our, our wife, our husband. I pray that we would see that. I pray that we would value that, that we would honor that, that we'd elevate that. What a gift. We know your word says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. All the men in the room, we are so thankful for our wives, so thankful for the gift that you have given us in our beautiful wives. Let us cherish them. Let us honor them. Let us bring... um, everything to them that you've called us to, God, that we would be the leaders and the protectors of our homes. I pray every marriage would be blessed, whether we're just getting started, whether we're 20 to 30 to 50 years in, in our marriage journeys. God, I thank you, Lord, that the best days are ahead, the best, most in love days, connected days, um, uh, fun days, fulfilling days of our marriages are still to come. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.